But his virtues were all of the negative kind, consisting of the bad things he had not done. Disgusted with the man's self-righteousness, Spurgeon said, Why, man, you're simply a bundle of negatives. You don't drink, you don't smoke, you don't gamble, you don't swear. What in the name of goodness do you do? The world is not particularly attracted by negative living. Years ago, I heard an old, romantic, Christian, elderly lady down in Florida when I first started preaching get up at a testimony meeting and say, thank God I don't dance. The young people present with their youthful imagination visualized that dear old lady trying to jitterbug and burst out laughing. I know that salvation is not of works, but in stressing this phase of the gospel, too many of us have neglected to emphasize the fact that we will be judged more by the good we've left undone than the evil we've done. Good works are not a means unto salvation because we're saved by grace through faith. We're saved only on the grounds of the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. But our good works are an evidence of salvation. And if we fail to do all the good we can to all the people we can at any time we can, by any means we can, we will be condemned at the judgment. Make no mistake about that. Jesus gave a clear, strong warning against the blighting, murderous sins of omissions. Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was a hunger, and ye gave me no meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me not in. Naked, and ye clothed me not. Sick and in prison, and ye visited me not. Then shall they also answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee a hungered, or a thirst, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister unto thee? Then shall he answer them, saying, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye did it not to one of the least of these, ye did it not unto me. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous unto life eternal. He called those who failed to do good as unto him, cursed. He called those who did good unto him, righteous. It is a very significant thing that in every one of Jesus' parables of condemnation, the sin condemned is the sin of omission. The very fact that not one place in all the parables of Jesus that are on condemnation was anyone condemned for the sin they had done. It was the sin of omission. For example, the guest at the wedding supper was cast out because he did not have on the wedding garment. The five foolish virgins did not bring oil in their vessels with their lamps. The man with one talent did not trade it in for his master's profit. The rich man did not minister to the poor man Lazarus lying at his gate. The unmerciful servant did not forgive the fellow servant who owed him a paltry hundred pence. And in the parable of the last judgment, those on the left hand were cast into outer darkness, not because they'd committed some grave evil, but because they'd failed to do good when the opportunity presented itself. The greatest gift to God is not mere creeds, nor ordinances, nor pious forms, but a life of service to God and to man. The most eloquent prayer is prayed through the hands that heal and bless. The highest form of worship is the worship of unselfish Christian service. The greatest form of praise is the sound of consecrated feet seeking out the lost and the helpless. In the parable of the last judgment, the people were not asked questions of theology. As important as doctrine is, they were not asked about their doctrinal beliefs. Neither were they asked what sins they had left off doing. Theirs was chiefly and solely the neglect to do good, and their sin was terrible enough 
to send them to punishment. There must be a practical outworking of our faith here in this present world, or it will never endure in the world to come. We need fewer words and more charitable works. We need less talk and more pity, less creed and more compassion. The Pharisees majored on doctrine, but minored on service. And Jesus said, except your righteousness exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you cannot get into the kingdom of heaven. Now, doctrine is all important. I believe in theology, but the Bible also teaches the importance of doing the things that our Lord commands. In the city of Strasbourg, Germany, there's a church that was bombed during World War II. It was totally destroyed, but a statue of Christ which stood by the altar was almost unharmed. Only the hands of the statue were missing. The people of the church rebuilt their sanctuary, and a famous sculptor offered to make new hands to attach to the arms of the statue by the altar. But after considering the matter, they decided to let it stand as it was without hands. For they said, Christ has no hands but our hands to do his work on earth. If we don't feed the hungry, give drink to the thirsty, entertain the stranger, visit the imprisoned and clothe the naked, who will? Christ is depending on us to do the very things which he did while upon earth. But many of us have failed him. We've gone our own selfish, careless way, heedless of the cry of the needy. If the gospel will not work effectively in the workaday world, then it is not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's a man in your community who has done you an injustice. Feelings have mounted between you, and everyone knows the way you feel about him. You could extend to him the warm hand of forgiveness, but you willfully refuse to do it. That is your sin. Jesus laid down a very simple rule for this sort of situation. He said, therefore, if thou bringest thy gift to the altar and rememberest that thy brother hath ought against thee, leave it there. Leave your gift at the altar and go thy way, and then come and offer thy gift. Christ, our Lord, set this example of forgiveness before us. He was maligned, blasphemed, falsely accused, and eventually crucified on that first Good Friday. But he freely forgave those who wronged him. Amidst unthinkable sufferings, he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He who had the grace to forgive can give you the grace to forgive your enemies. You know a man also who has had a misfortune and a bereavement in your community. His burden has been greater than he can bear. You thought that you ought to visit him and offer him some help, but you didn't do it. That is your sin. Christ has been holding out his hand of compassion, saying, Inasmuch as ye do it unto the least of these, you do it unto me. But you have turned a deaf ear to it. You've gone on your selfish way, one step nearer judgment. There are others of you who know a Christian teenager. You have known the battle that he is fighting against temptation. He is discouraged and beginning to lose heart. It would be easy for you to lay your hand on his shoulder and quote a verse of scripture and give him a word of encouragement and cheer, but you haven't done it. That is your sin. The Bible says to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. You know a mother who for days has been standing over the fevered body of a sick child. Night and day she has kept her weary vigil and now is utterly worn out and her nerves are taut. It occurred to you to visit her and relieve her for one night, but you didn't do it. You went on your selfish way. This is your sin. Christ expected you to relieve that weary woman in his stead, but you refused. Such selfishness is sin, and a sin we hear too little about today, and a sin, by the way, that convicts me. Some of you know a poor family in the community, and you've heard that the father is out of work, 
and that they have scarcely a thing in the house to eat. You've intended to visit that family and ask if they would accept some food from you or some money from you. But you have put it off. You failed to do it. That is your sin. Oh, yes, I know that according to the law, it's not a sin. But in the eyes of God, it is grave as any evil that you can commit. These ought ye to have done and not have left the other undone, said Jesus. For failing to do those acts of Christian kindness, a serious judgment awaits you, says the Bible. You know a man in your neighborhood who needs Christ, but you've not spoken to him about Christ. You've not tried to win him to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know another person in your community who needs a ride to church or Sunday school. They're not able to go to Sunday school and church because they have no way. And yet you've not offered to help them. That is your sin. God gave his only son to help the condition of mankind. What have you done? What have I done? Will the judge of the universe furrow his brow and condemn you as he did the Pharisees when he said, Woe unto you, for ye have omitted the weighty matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. Do we need to commit some great sin to lose the smile of God? No, many a home has been wrecked, not because the husband or wife committed any great sin, but simply because they neglected to do the little things which keep marriage and love alive. Many a business has failed, not because the owner was dishonest or had done a great wrong, but because he had failed to perform the little kind gestures that bring in customers. His was the fatal mistake of omission. Is that your mistake? Is that your sin? Is that mine? I trust that the Holy Spirit this day will apply this message of little things that we often neglect and overlook to our hearts. And may we do those little things, realizing that in the computers of God, they become big things and will be very important as we stand at the judgment seat of God. Shall we pray? Our Father and our God, we thank thee today for thy word that speaks to our hearts. And we pray that we will be convicted of our sins of omission. And instead of sins of omission, may we go about as our Lord did, doing good.